You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou art. I'll be preaching from here today because I feel like my brain's just a little too scattered to do my usual. <laughs> As our gospel reading begins, we see Jesus being led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days before this joust He has with Satan. Now He's doing more than just wandering. We know from the other gospels that time is being spent in intentional prayer with His Father. Now because He is fasting during this time. We are told that as well. His purpose cannot be primarily to ask His Father for things, which is mostly what we do in prayer. So what is He doing in prayer? As He is contending with or getting ready to contend with the devil. Now, when we celebrate communion, one of our regular prayers we say after communion, we, we address God and say, you gave your son both as a sacrifice for sin and as a model of the godly life. A model of the godly life. So it behooves us to answer the question of what Jesus is doing in prayer if he's not primarily asking for things. Because the idea of a fast is that you're denying yourself. So you're not asking for things. Now, I think it's worthwhile to think about what the stories we hear from Scripture have meant, not just to us, but to Christians throughout all time. Because the Word is for Christians in all times and places. And I think it's, I think it's a very reasonable speculation to say that in the early church, this particular story would have been especially important to those Christians who gathered in catacombs or hid away in people's homes as they worshipped for fear of persecution. Because they were far more likely to struggle in an easily recognizable way with Satan during the course of their average life. Many of them, to become a Christian was in that time period certainly to be ridiculed for it, probably to be persecuted for it, maybe, depending on the emperor in charge at the time, to die for it if they caught you at it. So, when we look at the lives of those Christians, and we can do that because we have a lot of their writings, things, letters they wrote to one another, or sermons, stuff like this, we see a lot of things about them. We see them in near constant prayer. So why could they do that when we, as modern Christians, were are especially prone to be obsessed with the trivial and our minds are kind of scattered and in a thousand places? We see them fasting valiantly the way we see Jesus fasting in this gospel reading. But we feel cheated when we go to the restaurant and we place the order and they say, oh, we're out of that for today. (laughs) We see them turning their homes into 
churches, for the whole community to share, yet we often have trouble opening our doors to our neighbors and probably don't even know who our neighbors are, if we're like most Americans. We willingly, we see them willingly experiencing economic hardships because people would refuse to do business with you if they found out you were a Christian. But we have trouble giving out of our abundance. We see them encouraging one another under persecution. One uh, pastor of the uh, second century origin, when he was about 10 or 12 years old, his father was, cap- was taken captive for being a Christian, was in prison, was under threat of death for it. He wrote a letter to his dad saying, Remember, don't deny Christ even if it costs you your life. But we have trouble speaking about holiness or encouraging one another even in the context of the church, let alone outside of it. We see Christians worshiping on Roman hillsides at sunrise. And we know this not from Christians, but from non-Christians who watched them do it. I have trouble with a sunrise service. (laughs) I only have to do it once a year and I have trouble prying myself out of bed for it. We see them courting persecution and death because they won't make sacrifices to the emperor. We also see them entering the plague-infested quarters of the cities, knowing they would probably catch the plague and die, but for the sake of ministering in mercy to those who are suffering. Why, are we, why do we see them doing that? But we're afraid in our own context. And I want to share with you some words. When I was at the pastor's conference two weeks ago that our bishop shared with us, he was talking with a bishop from Africa, and he said, Why are you American Christians so afraid. And he said, we're not afraid. We can go to church anytime we want to. I said, parts of your country, you know, you're under threat of death from groups like the Taliban. They're not, it's not the Taliban in Africa, but other ones. And he says, no. He said, you're afraid. He said, you're afraid of losing the good opinion of your neighbors. You're afraid when you go to the restaurant and pray of the people in the next booth wondering what they're thinking about you. You're afraid of losing your place at the table in your institutions for standing up for your convictions. Why are you so afraid? In that day in the early church, a famous phrase comes from a non-Christian senator who saw the way that Christians made sacrifices for one another. And he said, these Christians see how they love one another. But as modern Christians, we live lives that are fairly indistinguishable from our neighbors. Characterized by the same kind of anxieties and heartaches and dysfunctions. Yes, we live in a different time, but human nature is not all that different. We know from their letters that people in the early church felt just as harried and overwhelmed as we do. They had too much month left at the end of the money, just the same way we do. Why? Why are we so different? At least part of the answer to that question can be found in the way they understood the Christian life and particularly the prayer, life of prayer. Now, what's likely true is that as has happened at almost every point in church history, we've lost something that was treasured by our forebearers in the faith and we need to kind of course correct the motto of the Reformation was Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda which means the church reformed is always reforming. 
Luther compared us human beings to a drunk peasant who has always fallen off one side of the donkey or the other. <laughs> and so we need to, like every Christian in every age, just rediscover what we've lost. And the good news is we can do it because the riches are preserved for us in Scripture and in the history of the church. Hear these words that we heard read so beautifully by our young lady from the book of uh, from Paul. Here's what he says. There is hope for us. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now it's very clear from the context here that what he's not talking about is quoting scripture. The word that is in our mouth and in our heart is what he elsewhere calls the word of Christ. The good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. The good news that we are saved by grace through faith. The good news that what we have not done, Jesus has done for us. That when we drift, Christ remains anchored. He does not change. And we are saved by Him. He is in our mouths as we speak to each other about Him and in our hearts as we trust and believe in Him. And we are saved from our sins by Him. Now this is the place maybe where our understanding or maybe the difference is in emphasis from us from the early Christians. They saw this salvation from sin, this saving from sin, is not just aimed at some far-flung future judgment. For them, the problem with sin was not just hell. Hell was a problem, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but they knew they were saved by grace through faith. They were speaking within the life of the church. These were people who trusted Jesus already. What they saw as the problem with sin was not how it was going to affect their future judgment. What they saw as the problem with sin was how it was impairing their communion with God right now. Day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. The forgiveness of sins that the pastor would pronounce over them as Deacon Michael just pronounced over us was meant to remind them that every day, every hour, every minute is a clean slate because of the grace of God given in Jesus Christ and that we can turn from our sins and stop letting them get in the way of our relationship with God. Sin affects not just our disposition in eternity, it affects our condition now. Now, in today's reading from the Gospel, we see Jesus enter into a tr His trial after a period of just spending time with the Father. Intentional time set apart for communion with His Father. And we'll see Him do this again and again throughout His ministry. He's communing with His Father. Now, it is from our ongoing communion with God that we draw strength to face the challenges of the day. Hopefully we're not going to face a showdown with Satan anytime soon. But you never know. We face every day the assaults of the evil one upon our spirits, drawing from the strength we have from the relationship with God we have through Jesus Christ. 
Now, the early Christians did live in a different time. Their awareness of the nearness of that battle was much greater than ours. Samuel Johnson once said, the prospect of being hung in the morning has a wonderful way of sharpening the mind. And when you knew that the emperor might be out to get you or the next guy on the throne, and they killed each other regularly, so you never knew. If you think we have anxiety about who's going to get elected next time around, they had way more about who the next emperor was going to be. And the average lifespan was in the 40s. They knew, they knew of the fragility of human life and the stakes of the spiritual battle going on around them. Now, this Lent, for the next couple of weeks until Palm Sunday, we're going to be revisiting the topic of prayer. This has been discerned by our spiritual growth committee as our focus as a congregation. So we're going to spend some time in that, but it's going to be a little different than we did in the fall. Um, I've been reading some books on it, boning up and uh, getting ready to, to prepare this sermon series. And in his excellent book, uh, Prayer for Beginners, Peter Kreeft um, compares a book on prayer, the prayer book he's written, a book on prayer to a cookbook. And he says, if you read this book and you get a lot of good ideas, but you don't pray, it's kind of like reading a cookbook and getting to the end of it and wondering why you're still hungry. <laughs> Same is true of a sermon series on prayer. I hope to offer some helps, for, not from the pulpit usually, but you know what I mean, from the pulpit. But we've got to get cooking, folks. <laughs> Each week, along with your bulletin, you're going to get a recipe card. Did you get one this morning coming in? Okay. I can't make you use it. It's there as a help for you. But each week is going to be a challenge for us as a congregation. Each of us individually is on our own prayer journey too, but as a congregation, to be focused together, there's a challenge each week or a help each week on these, on these prayer cards. You get to assemble your own cookbook at home this way. Okay. On today's prayer card, is the intention is to just pick a time every day to pray. At that same time. If you have such a schedule that no time is good, put it in your daily planner or on your mirror when you go into the bathroom, whatever it is, so that there's going to be something regular to remind you every day to pray and set aside between one and five minutes to do that. Now, just so you're clear, the Lord's portion in the Old Testament is a a tithe, 10%. Five minutes is one 288th of a day. One minute is one 1,444th of a day. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're going to start small and take baby steps. I, lo- I put that, the acronym we focused on in November in there as a help to prayer this week. Um, but, but set yourself to pray intentionally. We're, and don't be surprised if as you try to do this, it's difficult. Okay, because we are told in today's scripture reading that even as Jesus was preparing for the big temptation story we see, he's already being tempted by the devil during the 40 days. Dean McGettigan called me on Thursday to say what a great day Sunday was and how much fun he had here and just what a joy to celebrate with us all that is going on and the Lord's doing in our midst. He said, but he, he ended our conversation this way. He said, pray hard. 
It's because when a congregation gets serious about being the church, the devil gets serious about taking them down. So we need to be praying. Not because we're going to get more saved that way. You are saved by grace through faith. But because this is how we unpack the riches of our inheritance, not as children of our mother's womb, but as children born of the font of God's grace. This is our inheritance, to walk with our Lord in deep communion with Him. The gift of the gospel is not just future blessedness, but a relationship with God now. Jesus said as He was ascending, Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let us recover our birthright as those born again by God's grace in this season of Lent. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, what a great gift we have. First in the words of Scripture that record for us your grace, your mercy, your teachings, your sacrifice through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. But also for those records we have of the early church and the sacrifices they made for one another. Lord, as modern people, we enjoy things they could not imagine. Most of us eat better than kings did in the ancient world. And yet, perhaps because of that, we're a little less aware of our needs, our true need for you. Strengthen us, bless us, make us earnest in our prayers. Help us each to take whatever commitments we've made for this season of Lent, this season of repentance, seriously. Trusting not in our own strength, but in you to work through us. For we indeed know we do not have the strength we need to fight this battle, but the strength is yours. Bless us, keep us, hold us fast in your grace. And by that grace, multiply our witness to you. We ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the Sleep in thy presence, my light